Good afternoon, my name is Dilem and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I'd like to welcome everyone to the Inspire Medical Systems second quarter 2023 conference call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there'll be a question and answer session. I'll then now hand the call over to your first speaker, Eski Yaja, the Vice President of Investor Relations at Inspire. You may begin the conference. Thank you, Dilem, and thank you all for participating in today's call. Joining me are Tim Herbert, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Rick Buholz, Chief Financial Officer. Earlier today, we released financial results for the three and six months ended June 30th, 2023. A copy of the press release is available on our website. On this call, management will make forward-looking statements within the meaning of the federal securities laws. All forward-looking statements, including without limitation those relating to our operations, financial results and financial condition, investments in our business, full year 2023 financial and operational outlook, and changes in market access are based upon our current estimates and various assumptions. These statements involve material risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results or events to materially differ. Accordingly, you should not place undue reliance on these statements. Please see our filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our Form 10-Q, which was filed with the SEC earlier this afternoon, for a description of these risks and uncertainties. Inspire disclaims any intention or obligation, except as required by law, to update or revise any financial projections or forward-looking statements, whether because of new information, future events, or otherwise. This conference call contains time-sensitive information and speaks only as of the live broadcast today, August 1st, 2023. With that, it is my pleasure to turn the call over to Tim Herbert. Tim? Thank you, Ezgi. And thanks, everyone, for joining our business update call for the second quarter of 2023. As always, we start with our commitment to patient outcomes and to ensure that each patient has the best possible experience with Inspired Therapy. As of the end of the second quarter, over 46,000 patients have been treated with Inspired Therapy. Over the past week, we shared some exciting announcements with the additions of Carlton Weatherby as our Chief Strategy Officer and Dr. Cherie Sparks as our Chief Medical Officer. As we continue to expand our business, we need strong leadership to guide the team with our focus on increasing the adoption of Inspired Therapy in the obstructive sleep apnea market. OSA is a large and underpenetrated market, and we see many years of sustained, healthy, organic growth ahead of us. Carlton joins us from Medtronic, where he was general manager of the spinal division. He brings a wealth of talent and experience that will be invaluable as we continue to scale our business. Dr. Sparks, is a board-certified physician with extensive business and leadership experience, including direct experience with Inspire as a board director. She will lead Inspire's clinical program, provide executive oversight to ensure high-quality patient outcomes, and serve as a liaison for the ENT and sleep physician communities. In connection with her appointment, Dr. Sparks will transition from her current role on the Inspire Board of Directors. We look forward to Carlton and Charisse's contributions toward our mission 
of serving the many patients with untreated OSA. With that, let's review our results. In the second quarter, we generated revenue of $151.1 million, representing a 65% increase compared to the second quarter of 2022. Our growth continues to be driven by higher utilization at existing centers and is complemented by the activation of new centers. Given the strong momentum we are seeing in our business, we now expect full revenue to be in the range of 600 to 610 million dollars, a 47 to 50 percent increase compared to 2022. In the second quarter, we continue to increase our capacity to support the strong demand for inspired therapy by adding 72 new implanting centers in the U.S., ending the quarter with a total of 1,045 centers. For the remainder of 2023, we continue to expect to activate 52 to 56 centers per quarter. Regarding the U.S. sales team, we created 19 new sales territories in the second quarter, bringing our total to 261. We continue to expect to add 12 to 14 U.S. sales territories per quarter for the remainder of 2023. In the second quarter, the number of visitors to our website surpassed 2.9 million. From these visits, we had over 12,000 physician contacts, and even with the typical summer slowdown in contacts, we steadfastly improved our conversion of patients receiving therapy. We continue to make numerous changes to our website to enhance how patients engage with our advisor care program, and we have a new website designed in the works for later this year. Further, we are continuing to increase the use of digital scheduling for Inspire consultations through our ACP. We previously mentioned one of the limiting factors to the adoption of Inspire therapy is the capacity of ENT surgeons performing the procedure. To this end, we are focusing on providing robust training programs to new physicians and reducing the time required to qualify and support patients through the entire INSPIRE journey. We believe that both of these focus areas will provide implanting surgeons with additional time to perform INSPIRE procedures. One example to improve the patient experience and reduce the time burden of the surgeons is our ongoing predictor study, which is designed to replace a drug-induced sleep endoscopy, or DICE, with an office-based airway exam. We have completed the data quality checks from the first 300 patients and are actively enrolling the second group of 300 patients with a higher BMI. We will be moving towards preparing a publication from the first data set and expect that these results will be presented in the fall. Another example relates to the growing adoption of the SleepSync patient management system. SleepSync is designed to streamline the patient journey from initial contact through diagnosis, system implant, and post-procedural longitudinal patient management. The utility of this platform continues to improve 
as is highlighted by the recent launch of the Inspire Bluetooth-enabled patient remote, which is the link between the patient's device and SleepSync. The next step is our new physician programmer called the SleepSync programmer, which was approved by FDA in the second quarter and will formally launch in the U.S. in early 2024. The SleepSync programmer allows physicians and their staff to log in from their own computer to access the programming screens and view all patient activities stored in the SleepSync system. Once launched, this technology will remove the necessity for Inspire to provide tablets as part of the physician programming system and will pave the way for future remote patient programming. Staying with product development, the Inspire 5 team is excited to announce the submission of our PMA supplement to the FDA. Subject to the FDA's review process, we expect approval in early 2024. Recall, Inspire 5 incorporates the sensor inside the neural stimulator using an accelerometer to measure respiration and will eliminate the need for the pressure sensing lead. Further, Inspire 5 is a platform device which will enable firmware upgrades transitioning to Inspire 6 and beyond, whereby further product enhancements such as auto activation will be introduced. From a research clinical and regulatory viewpoint, in the second quarter, we received FDA approval to expand our indication to include patients with an AHI up to 100 events per hour, up from 65, and raise the BMI warning in the labeling from 32 to 40. Furthermore, we are happy to announce that the ADHERE registry has met its target of 5,000 patients. And moving forward, patients will be enrolled into the ADHERE 2.0 registry, which will be integrated into the SleepSync system and included as part of a broader software release later this year. A quick comment on reimbursement. As the new, the new proposed OPPS rules were recently published and showed an increase to the national Medicare payment to hospitals of about $1,000 to $30,355 and an increase for ASCs of about $300 to $25,470. We also highlight the significant increase in the reimbursement of the DICE procedure, which increased from $180 to $1,639 for the Medicare facility payment. We do see a slight reduction in the physician payment proposed but this is tied to the overall RVU rate, which typically rebounds by the final November rules. Today, ASCs continue to make up about 23% of our total number of centers, but longer term, we continue to see the Inspired Therapy migrate more to the ASC setting, but this is challenged by the varying Medicare reimbursement rates in different states. We also have seen a stronger rebound in Medicare cases over the last two quarters, 
and with the Medicare reimbursement rates lower, especially in the South, this is limiting Medicare cases to the hospital outpatient setting. While we are able to obtain sufficient OR time in hospitals, our long-term programs will focus on ASC reimbursement and education for ASCs as we see this as an efficient site of service for the INSPIRE procedure. Finally, while we are very happy with the strong Medicare rebound, we expect that the balance will shift more heavily towards commercial cases as we progress through the year. Switching over to our international business, the European team achieved a very successful second quarter, growing 81% over the prior year. This robust growth was driven by a strong performance in Germany and supported by the Netherlands and Switzerland. We are very excited about the strength we are seeing in Belgium, which finalized countrywide reimbursement earlier this year, and look forward to building momentum in the quarters ahead. We are also excited about our new country manager in France, and we continue to prepare for a full market launch there pending the final reimbursement announcement expected later this year. Finally, we have made progress with reimbursement in the United Kingdom and expect additional patients receiving Inspired Therapy in this region. In Asia, we are seeing great momentum in Singapore with procedures showing significant, gro significant growth both sequentially and year over year. In Japan, we continue to advance our efforts of going direct by hiring and training additional team members, have completed the Japanese website, and are seeing increased activity with physicians and active centers. Regarding operations, we continue to make progress with the production ramp of the silicone-based stimulation and sensing leads. We remain in a challenged position with the sensor manufacturing yields. However, we have incorporated a recent manufacturing change and expect to grow inventory as we move through the quarter. We remain in a positive inventory position with short-term plans in place to grow to our goal of one quarter of safety stock by year-end. We feel good about our inventory position in our other products. In summary, we continue to see significant momentum in our business. We remain focused on patient outcomes and physician education to continue the adoption of our therapy. We will continue to increase utilization at our existing centers while adding capacity by opening new centers. We remain extremely excited about our future prospects and are confident that we have the appropriate strategy in place to drive long-term stakeholder value. With that, I'd like to turn the call over to Rick for his review of our financials. Thank you, Tim, and good afternoon, everyone. Total revenue for the second quarter was $151.1 million, a 65% increase from the $91.4 million generated in the second quarter of 2022. U.S. revenue in the second quarter was $144.7 million, an increase of 65% from the $87.9 million 
in the prior year period. The primary growth driver in the U.S. was higher utilization at existing centers. Other growth drivers include the addition of new implanting centers, our continuing direct-to-consumer marketing, and a higher number of territory managers. We are pleased to announce revenue outside the U.S. increased to $6.3 million, which is an 81% increase year-over-year on a reported basis, while units sold outside the U.S. grew 72%. The U.S. average selling price in the second quarter was $25,000, compared to $24,100 in the prior year period. The increase reflects our 5% price uplift that began in May of 2022. We expect the U.S. ASP to remain steady at the current level. The ASP outside the U.S. was 22,100 during the quarter compared to 21,000 in the second quarter of 2022. Gross margin in the second quarter was 83.9% compared to 84.5% in the prior year period, primarily due to additional manufacturing costs of sensors and lower yields prior to process enhancements, as well as higher costs of certain component parts, partially offset by the price increase, which is now fully in effect. Total operating expenses for the second quarter were $143.4 million, an increase of 57% as compared to $91.2 million in the second quarter of 2022. This planned increase was due to the expansion of our sales organization increased direct-to-consumer marketing programs, continued product development efforts, and general corporate costs. The increase in operating expenses is reflective of our ongoing plan to drive continued long-term growth and to make investments in key areas of our business. Interest and dividend income totaled $4.9 million in the second quarter compared to $297,000 in the prior year period. This higher income was driven by higher interest rates on our increased cash balances compared to a year ago. Net loss for the second quarter was 12 million compared to 14.5 million net loss in the prior year period. The net loss per share was 41 cents compared to 53 cents in the second quarter of 2022. The net loss for the second quarter includes $3 million of R&D expenses associated with pre-launch inventory related to Inspire 5 that is expensed for accounting purposes. The weighted average number of shares outstanding for the second quarter was 29.2 million. We expect the third quarter weighted average shares outstanding to be approximately 29.4 million. Given our continued operating leverage improvement, our cash and investments increased to 467 million at June 30, from $452 million at March 31. This strong cash position allows us to remain focused on executing our growth strategy of increasing procedure volumes at existing centers while training and opening new implanting centers. Moving on to updated 2023 guidance. Given the strong momentum we are seeing in our business, we now expect full-year revenue to be in the range of 600 to 610 million, an increase from our previous guidance of 580 to 590 million. This updated revenue guidance represents 47 to 50% growth compared to full-year 2022 revenue. 
Similar to prior years, as we progress through the second half of the year, we generally see increased seasonality in the fourth quarter as patients and physicians attempt to schedule inspired procedures before high deductible health plans reset at the beginning of the year. We continue to expect full-year gross margin to be in the range of 83 to 85%. As Tim noted, we expect to activate 52 to 56 new U.S. centers per quarter and establish 12 to 14 new U.S. sales territories per quarter for the remainder of 2023. In conclusion, our strong performance and business momentum provide us with confidence in our outlook for the remainder of 2023. With that, our prepared remarks are concluded. Delem, you may now open the line for questions. Thank you, sir. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1-1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, please press star 1-1 again. We ask that you keep your questions to no more than one question and one follow-up, and if time permits, we'll be more than happy to take more questions. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your line is open, John. Hey, guys, it's John from Steeple. I didn't hear the beginning, but maybe I'll go. Um, good afternoon, guys. I didn't hear the beginning either, John, but great to have you. How are you? I figured, Tim, I'd just jump in. What the heck? Um, I'm going to ask go. both up <laughs> I'm going to ask both up front. Uh, GLP-1, there's certainly a lot of chatter or concern. So, Tim, maybe sort of big picture. How do you view this playing out for the company's TAM? And is the funnel, you know, altered materially to the upside or the downside, arguably, from your view? And then the second question, maybe more specific to the quarter P&L, you know, I've been following you guys for a while, and international usually doesn't get a lot of play, but that's a big growth number. I know you've been working on the opportunity for some time. Was there anything specific to the second quarter, or is this arguably an inflection point for the OUS business that you see going forward. Thanks. You bet. Thank you. Um, GOP-1 concerns. Um, we're happy with GOP-1. We think it's complementary to Inspire. Again, it's very specifically uh, discussed that the Inspire mechanism of action is to move the tongue base forward. We don't address lateral wall collapse that is associated with higher BMI patients. Let that sink in. We've talked about this before. When patients go on a GLP-1 drug and they lose weight, they tend to lose the weight in the neck circumference, which is addressed by lateral wall collapse, which is outside of our mechanism of action. Therefore, if we can get higher BMI patients to lose weight, it will relax their lateral walls, and we, there will be predominantly tongue-based obstruction which is highly effectively treated with Inspire by stimulation of the hypoglossal nerve. So again, two different mechanisms of actions being treated by GOP-1 and Inspire and very complementary to, our, to each of them. We do have our own 
research project to address lateral wall collapse, but that's a longer term um, uh, solution. But in the meantime, if we can see progress with the uh, GLP-1 uh, drugs helping patients lose weight and moving them towards the Inspire indication, it's going to be highly beneficial. At this point, it's a little early, so we haven't seen a lot of movement out in the field. We don't hear a lot of feedback from our physicians, but uh, we welcome uh, the opportunity to take care of the patients as they uh, start to lose weight. Uh, international is exciting, and I think we've seen some uh, great progress in international. As we've, John, you've been following Inspire for quite some time, and, and what we've always said is we don't make strong investments in a country until we've established a reimbursement pathway in that country. And uh, in the case of uh, Germany, we've had great success there. And as we're coming, you know, well after COVID, now we're seeing a strong rebound. Germany's had a very good quarter. The Netherlands overcame some reimbursement challenges and are opening up new centers, which provides uh, growth there. But the exciting news is in Belgium that completed the um, countrywide reimbursement. They will have a strong second half as they start to schedule their cases. And uh, we already have the announcement on countrywide reimbursement in France, and we expect the new coding to come out relatively soon so we can do a full launch there. So a lot going on in the international markets. We really like what's happening. The team is well organized. And then in the Asian markets, Singapore, as we said, is doing well. And, and going direct in Japan is really starting to have uh, um, show good progress, and we look forward to reporting uh, more activity there in the future. So thank you very much. Thanks, Tim. Great call. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Robbie Marcus from J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Oh, great. And uh, congrats on a, a really nice quarter here. Uh, maybe to start, you, you've recently had the label updated. Uh, you can treat uh, more episodes per night, more severe um, sleep apnea, and the, the BMI raised to 40. Can you, you talk about what you're seeing as an impact in the field and how much this can really increase your um, your addressable market? And I guess that, you know, you, you touched on it in the last with GLP-1s, but, you know, I, I imagine it, it probably helps a whole lot with the combination of the two going forward. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and thanks, Robbie. As far as the label updates go, well, also remember we recently uh, received a pediatric approval for uh, um, Down syndrome, and that, that is going along well, and we're opening up more children's uh, facilities. Most of those facilities are already tied in with existing Inspire Center, so we can take care of the, those kids. The label update for AHI is a pretty immediate introduction because there's just not a lot of options for those, those patients that have a higher apneohypoptic index above 65 going up to 100. And so that really helps us get the approval with the insurance company. So that's a pretty immediate uh, return. We're going to see a, a little bit uh, increase in procedures uh, right there. BMI, we got to be a little bit careful about because just bringing in a, a BMI patient who up to a BMI of 40 is a little dangerous because the probability of them having lateral wall collapse, which again, that presents as a complete concentric collapse when you do a DICE procedure, 
And remember, we treat uh, uh, tongue-based obstructions with the anterior posterior, with the tongue moving forward. So with a higher BMI, we're being very careful to not fill the appointment books of the ENT surgeons with high BMI patients who won't qualify for Inspire anyways. Now, those are the patients that will be good patients to get on the GLP-1 uh, drugs, if you will, to help them lose some weight, relax the lateral walls, and allow us to assess if they t are tongue-based collapse that can be properly treated with Inspire. So to summarize, the AHI is going to be an indication expansion. I think in the past we've talked about it uh, being about a 10% increase over our published TAM. BMI, we're going to be careful about because our current system doesn't treat lateral wall, but we now have the advantage of the GOP1 to be able to address uh, that market as well, albeit they need to lose the weight uh, first, and we know that takes a little bit of time with the drugs. Great. And um, maybe one on spending. There was clearly, uh, you, you called out, I think it was $3 million or so in, in Inspire 5 buildup in uh, inventory and R&D accounts for a lot of the step up. Um, but maybe just give us an update on how you're thinking about balancing the great top-line growth versus uh, margin leverage and, and views on profitability going forward. Thanks a lot. Yeah, hey, Robbie, it's Rick. So, yeah, we uh, we understand profitability is important, and um, we continue to create leverage in our P&L, but our, our real focus is top-line growth and growing the, the adoption. So we do invest in a disciplined manner. We continue to do that. Uh, we've made investments in DTC, R&D, uh, and all areas of our business, but we have been improving our, our leverage on our, with our operating expenses. Uh, R&D is 20% of revenue. It was 20% of revenue in the first quarter. Um, we've talked about we expect that to be in the high teens or so, but we're making tremendous investments, as Tim talked about in the prepared remarks. Uh, but we actually, in, in the second quarter, um, you know, given the, the current macro supply chain environment and, and our confidence in Inspire 5, approval in, in 2024. Uh, we are purchasing some Inspire 5 components now, but for accounting purposes, it must be recorded as a R&D expense. I don't mean to get into the fine details of that, but, but that, that accounted for 200 basis points of our R&D as a percentage of revenue. That being said, stock-based compensation is a big number. Um, in, in the quarter, it was nearly $22 million, and so Taking that out, you know, we, we've generated cash. We're cash positive uh, by, by $15 million. So profitability will come. We haven't changed our tone on that, but we're really focused on the long-term top-line growth. Great. Uh, thanks for taking the questions. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Danielle Entalfi from UBS. Please go ahead. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Thanks so much for taking the question. Congrats on a really strong quarter. It's great to see. I, I just wanted to ask a follow-up question on the um, the Medicare, you know, the shift in patients a, a little bit away from Medicare patients given the proposed to payment, um, payment physician payment. Um, so the first question I have is, what percentage of your patients today are Medicare 
and then what percentage of overall OSA patients are Medicare, and also how we should think about this going forward. Is this really meaningful or is this just you guys being cautious? Sure. Uh, hi, Danielle. I think the Medicare, um, historically our blend has always been about 65 to 70% commercial, 25 to 30% Medicare, and about 5% uh, VA or military, and that probably purposely doesn't add up to 100. But as we've seen in the last couple quarters, we saw a good Medicare uh, rebound. Uh, usually in Q1, we see heavy Medicare because we have the high commercial in Q4, again, going back to the high deductible insurance plans. And, and so in Q1, Q2, we just saw a higher percent not quite 50%, but approaching it for Medicare. So while that's really exciting for that population, it does put some challenges to the reimbursement in ASCs. And that's kind of mm -hmm. what we're highlighting. We're able to um, handle and cover those uh, cases all uh, in uh, hospital setting or in ASCs in the north, but uh, that does present a longer-term challenge. As we progress into Q3 and certainly into Q4, as Rick highlighted, it becomes more um, weighted towards commercial cases because, again, the high deductibles uh, really kind of drive the fourth quarter. So I would expect our percentages to move back to more traditional ratios. Uh, and then overall, obstructive sleep apnea is a young person's disease. And in the clinical studies, you saw the average age of our studies were down at 54. Uh, during the early commercial years, of course, reimbursement's easier with Medicare so it kind of rises up a little bit. But uh, we think that uh, it should be back in the average age in the 50s. Remember, now we have the pediatric approval. The youngest person is really just single digits years of age. So it, uh, we're across the board on, on treating patients. But for the most part, I think that we want to keep our ratios focused on the uh, commercial side, uh, certainly complementary with the Medicare and always uh, provide service to the VA and military. Okay, got it. And then um, Inspire 5, congrats on that. Once that is approved, should we think about that as a, a gradual rollout, or how should we think about building capacity of Inspire 5 ahead of a, ahead of a launch and potential impact to margins there? Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Daniel. I think people are excited about Inspire 5. Obviously, um, the removal of the pressure-sensing lead is both an uh, improvement for the patient. It's, it uh, is, makes the procedure more comfortable for an ear, nose, and throat surgeon to perform. It gives us and the patient an improved reliability as, as even though we have a small number of revision surgeries, the, the culprit for most of those is that pressure sensing lead. So we want to be able to get this out uh, broadly in the market as soon as we can. Once approved, I'm sure we'll do a small pilot study just to make sure it uh, uh, works well with all the sleep sync system, the new remotes, and the adoption into the market. And uh, by mid-year, we expect to go full launch on this. And we believe once launched, it will be a very quick uh, transition across the board. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Travis Steed from Bank of America Securities. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks a lot. Uh, congrats on a good quarter. Um, maybe the hospital outpatient reimbursement that came out recently, there was a big uptick uh -huh. in DICE procedures. 
um, and a few things with uh, the reimbursement um, going up on the replacement if the needs need to be replaced. Just curious how you're seeing that, uh, if that was expected, and, and how that should play out in the, in the business. Uh, hi, Travis. Thank you. I think the, um, the sleep endoscopy increase in reimbursement uh, was a nice surprise. We know that they have been working on that when they initially came out at uh, just $180 or what it was, was uh, very disappointingly low uh, for a 15-minute procedure, and it wasn't worth hospitals or ASCs to be able to do that procedure. But moving that up, I think they, it actually brought the economics from the uh, actuals over the last couple years kind of drove that calculation, and getting it to $1,600 really is going to be beneficial uh, for the centers providing that DICE procedure. Then again, on the other hand, as we got done talking with our predictor study, we want to reduce the reliance on DICE anyways to be able to go to an office exam. We'd rather have the ENTs and the OR suites spend that time doing implant procedures rather than DICE. So very happy about the reimbursement there, and I'm sure all the centers and ASCs will be equally excited uh, when that takes effect in, in November. As far as the uh, uh, increase to the hospital ASC payment for the INSPIRE procedure, that's tied to the overall um, APC ambulatory procedure code. And again, very happy with a continued increase, and uh, that's been pretty steady of an increase year over year for the last uh, several years. So again, it just continues to move uh, north, and that's really good for the hospitals and ASCs. But we just have to address uh, the Medicare um, ASC payments uh, in the south. Great. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, and maybe you could talk about summer seasonality, kind of cadence of the year, Q3, Q4. Uh, just any color on on both the revenue and and the margins and spending. Uh, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Hey, Travis. It's Rick. So. <clears throat> As we talked about, we're really uh, proud of, of the achievement of the team in the first half of the year, and, and, and we talked about all the opportunities uh, with some of the label changes and the change in the, in the BMI warning and, and, and other catalysts. Um, so, so we have increased our guidance uh, up to 600 to 610, um, and so we, we, we talk about the, the step that, and I mentioned this in the prepared remarks, that uh, we generally see um, a, a strengthening in, in, in their in their our year in the fourth quarter, given the commercial the commercial mix with physicians and patients attempting to schedule those uh, procedures before those high deductible plans reset at the beginning of the year. Uh, we will continue to uh, to increase our spending. Um, we have shown leverage. We expect to improve that as we progress throughout the year, um, and so. We're excited about the second half of the year, but you know, there will be a strengthening in the fourth quarter. Great. Thanks a lot, and congrats again. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Adam Mater from Piper Sandler. Please go ahead. Hi, Tim, Rick, and Eski. Uh, congrats on the next quarter, and thank you for taking the questions. Um, I wanted to ask about the, the OUS business, and apologies if this was asked earlier in the Q&A. Um, okay. But, but obviously a, a big increase sequentially, um, you know, to $6 million. So the, the question is, you know, is this kind of the new watermark? What drove the performance? And, and anything to call out from a competitive standpoint in, in Europe? And then I had a follow-up. Thanks. 
Sure. Um, I think it really is down to the performance of the Inspire team. And uh, the focus in Germany was really strong and, and drove most of that growth. I also want to compliment the team in the Netherlands with opening new centers in the Netherlands. That's uh, something we haven't been able to do for um, several years. And uh, also Switzerland uh, and the rest of uh, stock market really did uh, very, very strong. We haven't really seen the performance from Belgium yet. That's still uh, forthcoming. You're going to see with the implementation of the national uh, insurance coverage in, in Belgium, they're going to have a strong second half, so that's going to continue to move north. I think uh, the U.K., has done implants, but now we're able to open up additional centers in the UK, which is really promising. And we previously announced that we were awarded countrywide reimbursement in France, but France is working through the coding set, the CPT coding equivalent in France, to make sure that when they lay this out uh, publicly and put this on their registry, that it will have the CPT codes in place. We expect that to happen post-vacation time um, in Europe, and so that we'll do a full launch in the latter half of the year, which is really exciting for France, which is obviously one of the largest markets in Europe. So while we have good progress in Europe, I think the upside is still yet to come, and it's really driven by the, uh, the introduction of, of reimbursement uh, in those countries, and that's what's really going to continue to to drive the business. I uh, uh, no comment on competition. I'm not sure that has any kind of impact on us over there. Um, but uh, we are the team is really moving uh, very very strong. And later in the year, I think you're going to start to see some progress uh, over from Asia, as we made uh, mention. Singapore is doing really well, and uh, Japan. We're just coming through the transition to direct representation in that country, and you're going to start seeing, seeing activity in Japan, which is really our focus in, in the Asia markets. That's a great color, Tim. Thank you for the fulsome response. And for the follow-up, um, I guess I'll, I'll ask about um, the digital scheduling tool. Uh, I'm curious yeah. if you gave an update in terms of the number of U.S. centers that are now on uh, you know, that, that tool right now. Um, and just remind us of the difference in utilization between centers that have that and don't. And then I, a second part would be just on the ASC mix uh, this, this quarter. Can you provide an update there? Thank you. Absolutely. We're still in the pilot center of the digital scheduling, but probably about 60-plus centers are using the tool right now, and that, that's really exciting because uh, it's good for the patients. They don't go through the um, poor experience of getting voicemail at a center when we're trying to make uh, those appointments. So we're going to continue to push that. We're, in, we're entering the second phase of that where we can add additional uh, centers partnering with our software company uh, to interface into their digital scheduling. So really like what's happening there. I think some of the uh, top centers, we're going to be pushing that obviously quicker with those centers with the higher utilization because that really just, again, streamlines that process uh, going forward. And the second question? ASC mix. Oh, ASC mix. I think that comes down to just a little bit higher Medicare mix in the second quarter 
and Medicare tends to be dominated in the hospital setting, especially down south where they have the reduced uh, Medicare rates. But as we progress back to um, higher commercial rates as we progress through the quarter, I think that you'll see more and more progress with ASCs. But it really is our long-term vision that ASCs will be a key catalyst for driving the business, and we need to continue to provide education to ASCs when they negotiate their contracts with commercial payers to make sure that they have the carve-out for Inspire. And we need to work on the reimbursement levels uh, from a Medicare standpoint and the proper mix between commercial and Medicare and ASCs. Thanks, Dan, and congrats. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Richard Newitter from Truist Securities. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for taking the questions, guys. Uh, nice job on the on another good quarter. Maybe um, my first question, you know, I know in the past you've talked about uh, all these initiatives uh, that you have to increase throughput efficiency. Uh, one of them is, is getting more physicians per implanting center. So. Do you have uh, an update on the on the kind of the percent of your centers or install base that have more than one physician? Uh, and then where do you think you know how should we think about that that o over the next few quarters? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, don't have a specific number for you. We know that continues to grow, and that's a a primary factor when reps go in to make sure we number one have a backup. Who's your backup um, if the surgeon goes away or is unable to perform procedures? As, as just a routine measure, we want to always have a backup. The other thing is we always look at a lot of our surgeons have multiple sites of service. So they can do procedures at a hospital, but they also have a backup uh, at an ASC per se. A lot of surgeons have multiple hospitals and an ASC. So for the most part, we're getting to the point we have multiple surgeons in most facilities, but most surgeons also have multiple sites of service. So it kind of counteracts itself from, from that standpoint. What we're really excited about, both from ENT and sleep, um, is we have a very active fellows program. We want to capture the surgeons as they graduate and go forth into their first uh, job to make sure that they're bringing their Inspire experience with them. And what we're doing is very actively training them before they start their jobs to really focus on making sure Inspire is part of their practice as they get going. And we're doing that again, both with ENT and sleep. We just finished our annual e, um, uh, fellows course, and um, uh, we had quite a few ENTs. I'm not sure the exact numbers on those of the ENTs that graduated this year, but we're looking at about a 50% conversion of those surgeons being able to do Inspire procedures in their first year. And that same thing goes forward with uh, sleep physicians. So we're going to continue and expand that program going forward and, and get inspired, uh, taught more in the, at the medical school level. Great. And then, you know, kind of a generic question that, with respect to the, you know, utilization backdrop for a number of elective procedures out there. It's been strong in the first half, above trend. I know you guys are in a different situation, so underpenetrated into this huge TAM. But I'm curious the extent to which, you know, you're seeing any kind of backlog or, or pent-up demand that, that's continuing to come in and, and support strong results. And, and, and if you are, what, what the outlook is 
it, from a contribution standpoint as we move into the back half? Yeah, we are. I think we're seeing um, uh, continued growth across all of our centers. Obviously, same-store sales drove the growth in Q2 as it did in Q1, um, and I think we'll continue to do so as we move forward. I think that uh, we're excited again about the pop that we saw with Medicare uh, in the second quarter, and uh, I think uh, that kind of overwhelmed a little bit more the commercial cases, which will come on strong in the, in the second half. So the uh, demand continues to be there. As you mentioned, Rich, we continue to be underpenetrated in the TAM, and we still have uh, limitations on the number of surgeons performing the procedures. We still need to continue to address that and work the, the backlog of patients. But uh, absolutely, people want to have uh, uh, step in and, and have their uh, obstructive sleep apnea taken care of. Uh, our demand from our direct-to-consumer continues to be uh, very effective. Our contacts are high. Our efficiency and conversions of patients through Implant continues to be strong. We just got to continue to open up more OR time by training and getting ENTs to commit more of their time to these patients. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Larry Beagleson from Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Hi, it's Lay calling in for Larry. Uh, thanks for taking my question. Congratulations on the quarter. Um, just on the guidance, you, you raised uh, the revenue, the full-year revenue guidance, by a little more than the beat. Um, that seems to imply in the second half your top-line growth is closer to 30%, whereas you grew over 70% in the first half. So if you can just talk about, you know, why the deceleration, um, is there something other than conservatism and just general confidence in the second half outlook, and I have a follow-up. Yeah, hi, Leigh, it's Rick. Uh, we haven't changed our, our guidance strategy, um, and so we put forth guidance that, that we, we believe in and we can stand, stand behind. Uh, we did talk about, you know, that, the mix of, of Medicare and commercial, and so with that said, you know, we expect a, a real strengthening of the commercial procedures as we enter into the fourth quarter. Uh, despite that, you know, we're we're very proud of, of the Inspire's team the first half of the year, and, and we have increased uh, increased guidance. So uh, really similar to previous years on, on how our revenue will, will kind of roll out for the year. Got it. Okay. And then just my second question. Um, Tim, you talked about the new head of strategy that you just hired. Um, what will be his focus? The company has, you know, close to 500 million cash. Should we read that as perhaps an increased interest in expanding your portfolio, either inside sleep apnea or, you know, even outside of sleep apnea? Thanks again. Sure, great question. Uh, Carlton's a great talent, and as we continue to grow, uh, we need that leadership to be able to scale our business. And I definitely see where you're coming from. That our investments in the past are focused on technical tools that can help us grow the adoption of Inspire, that's not changing. I think we're going to focus on our uh, building the Inspire business to treat obstructive sleep apnea. Nothing has changed there. And, yes, we've been um, 
uh, successful at making sure we have a strong balance sheet. But uh, our focus today remains with obstructive sleep apnea and and leveraging tools as we have with Ognomi and ENSO data to be able to, to help patients make appointments with physicians to integrate in with a sleep sync system. But again, we're keeping, we're keeping our focus. We're growing the adoption of Inspire, and uh, Carlton's going to be just instrumental in helping us with our overall strategy plan and understanding what this organization looks like when we go to $1 billion, $2 billion in annual revenue, and what does the organization need to look like, not only from our external team, but from our operational side, our clinical evaluation, our quality, and our overall company as a whole. Thank you. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Anthony Petroni from Mizuho Americas. Please, please go ahead. Uh, thanks, and congrats on another strong quarter here. Maybe a quick one just on Inspire 5, just, just to sort of clarify the pricing strategy for, for the latest-gen system as, as we look toward a rollout, how will it stack up against the existing, uh, uh, the existing systems out there? And then a quick follow-up would be when we look at the two themes of GLP-1s potentially lowering BMI for even patients now contraindicated above 40 BMI, but with that label expansion up to 40 BMI, when you think of those two, you know, out there now concurrently, how many patients can that actually bring into uh, the category where they would be eligible for hypoglossal nerve stimulation? Thanks. Got it. Thanks very much. As far as uh, Inspire um, 5 comes out, we're still uh, evaluating that on what our pricing strategy be, will be when we launch that. It will be a change uh, because, again, we won't be – uh, moving, selling this, the pressure-sensing lead either. So a little bit of time yet to come on that. We're still doing ongoing evaluation. As we always said in the past, that we tend to do price increases with technology improvements, and this is certainly a strong technology improvement, not only with Inspire 5, but it opens up the platform, allowing us to go to 6 and 7 and beyond. So a lot more to come on that, and we'll report back uh, in the future. As far as GOP-1, uh, you put on a note yesterday, you did a, uh, a call with a doctor that was very intriguing in regards to their take on what GOP-1 is going to do with um, uh, addressing Inspire and how it's going to do with overall weight loss. It was a very interesting uh, discussion. I think what we're seeing is we know that when you get a BMI um, above about 35, we can screen out well over 30 per thir a third of the patients due to uh, complete concentric collapse or lateral wall collapse that's associated with a larger neck circumference. As we go to a BMI of 37, even up to a 40, that's when you're going to screen out 50% or higher. And so if you can just look at the number of patients up there when we're able to help them with a GOP-1 to be able to lose weight and reduce relax the lateral wall component of their obstructive sleep apnea, that's going to have a significant impact on the Inspire business. The key is going to be it will take time. I think in your report highlighted that there's not a lot of activity that you've seen to date yet. We haven't heard a lot subjectively from the field on 
progress made with GLP-1, but we do know that's coming uh, in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of David Rescott from Baird. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Um, hi, thanks for taking the questions and congrats on the uh, strong quarter here. Um, just first on utilization in the U.S., I'm wondering um, maybe what's driving, not what's driving that, but when we think about kind of the bell curve of physicians that maybe your centers are maybe toward the upper end, middle end, and lower end of this range, is, is increasing utilization kind of coming from any one of those specific segments, or is it more more or less broad across across the kind of spectrum of, of centers? And then when we think about maybe those toward the higher end of that range, are, are there still improvements from utilization coming from those centers, or are they approaching maybe some of a somewhat of a, a capping out kind of uh, level? Yeah, I don't. Um, hi, thanks for the question. I think uh, we still have uh, quite a ways to go as far as utilization. We can talk about the characteristics of uh, the higher end sites, and, and the key characteristic is team. And what that means is the surgeons can focus on those aspects of their practice, uh, and they can rely on sleep physicians who will do a lot of the uh, longitudinal management of the patients, a lot of the programming of the device. And so the highest utilizing centers have multiple surgeons and they have a well-defined team to know who does what with the patients and it's, it's easy for the patients to see their process through um, from the initial screening through the implant through the longitudinal patient management. I think that's kind of the key that we try to educate the tier two and the tier three sites with is you got to be able to have a team. We have great respect for our friends who are those ENT surgeons who are dual board certified in sleep medicine because those are the early adopters. They've been with us since the very beginning, but they need to transition a little bit to have partnership with sleep physicians and others, other surgeons to really help them build their capacity. And what's important here is we know centers with the highest capacities also have the highest patient outcomes. Well, that's natural because Everybody at the facility knows their job. Everybody at the facility is experienced, and they know what a good patient outcome is. And so we keep pushing utilization, and uh, I think you highlight that in your uh, initiation report on that as well. So um, I think that's really kind of a key is we're going to keep pushing utilization as we move forward. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, just second one from, from us on the – expanded AHI BMI labels. I know you guys provided some some comments around the impact um, there, but I'm just thinking or, or wondering, I guess, more toward the top of the funnel, I guess, to the extent of which you're able to see, um, you know, if maybe you've heard anything anecdotal just around physicians, um, you know, more or less at the margin, maybe considering offering the therapy to a broader number of patients, given that those labels have been bumped up, up, up a little bit. Thank you. Absolutely, thank you. High AHI, absolutely. Um, we made sure all the physicians knew about the high AHI approval right away. We're working with the commercial payers on an update to their policies on that, amongst other things, including the pediatric population as well. Um, the key is going to be that's, that's an important because those patients just don't have many other options. As far as the high BMI, as we've been talking about with the GOP-1, we're being very careful about jumping too fast into the high BMI 
ring because those patients will have a higher probability of being screened out with the DICE procedure because a complete concentric collapse or the lateral wall collapse. And uh, those are the concerns. Those are the patients we think can benefit from the GLP-1 uh, drugs. So being very careful about BMI, uh, pushing really hard on high AHI, pushing very hard on pediatrics with Down syndrome, and then we'll talk more in the near future about transition of DICE to that, that whole predictor. That'll also be a key component with payers. All right, great, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I show our next question comes from the line of Matthew Michan from KeyBank. Please go ahead. Hey, great, thank you for taking the questions. Um, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about SleepSync um, and kind of how many of these new centers that you're adding are, are also kind of adopting SleepSync, and then kind of where are they in like the pathway, and what are some of the larger centers in the pathway um, towards uh, reimbursement for remote patient monitoring? Great question. Thank you very much. Um, the Bluetooth remote that was launched last year really is the big change to SleepSync. It provided the utility of the system to directly interface the patient's device with SleepSync so the, the physicians and the healthcare providers can now have a real-time view of how those patients are doing. When we open new centers, as we have for the last several quarters, new centers being trained are automatically put on SleepSync. And our process is going back to the older centers that have been around for a while and starting to train them to add SleepSync to their process. But as far as new centers goes, it's, it's standard requirement right up front. We train all of them to make sure they're a part of it. It's necessary to have this direct communication. And as we mentioned, we already have the new physician programmer approved and we're gonna launch that in the beginning of next year. All the actions taken with the physician programmer are, are automatically stored in SleepSync. And all the information from the patient remote from the implanted product is transitioned via the patient's smartphone to SleepSync. And we're gonna be introducing tools, uh, such as a, a sensor that goes under patient's mattresses to be able to record and monitor a patient's quality of sleep that will be part of sleep sync. We are interfacing with our minority investments, Agnomi and Enso data, so their data automatically uploads to sleep sync. And what sleep sync is gonna be is gonna be all encompassing patient management tool that's gonna to have not only the objective evidence for the quality of sleep, but they'll also be able to input the subjective data from the patient. How do they feel when they do a telemedicine, right? What kind of complaints do they have? Is everything working fine with them? And then the next step after this with SleepSync is we're gonna be able to start taking action from a physician's office to a patient's home with remote patient uh, programming. That's gonna be tremendous. We're already working on that uh, in-house. We're already in communication with FDA as well on that. So that's gonna be a key step uh, going forward. Okay, great. I'll just, I'll just ask one last one. All these new centers that you're you're adding, is, is this really a, a push from your sales force or is it a pull from these kind of senators, uh, these centers basically asking and saying, we, we need to add this to our practice? Uh, where we are today, we're still a pull. Um, when we are, do our direct-to-consumer, yes, we are creating a brand 
and a lot of patients see that, they come to our website. Well, physicians see this as well. We haven't mentioned this uh, at all today, uh, but we get uh, general practitioners, family practice doctors. They see those outreach programs as well. They come to our website saying, look, my patient's going to ask me about this. I need to know how to communicate with my patient. So we have a large uh, educational process with general practitioners or family practice doctors on how to talk to their patients and how to refer their patients to the ENTs. And so today we're still responding to outside demand that we need to have this in our, in our practice. And uh, the first thing we do when we get an inbound call from a center is we kind of make them fill out an application. I know that sounds arrogant, but it's not. What it is, it's an organizational form that helps them identify who's who in the zoo. Who's the ENT? Who's the sleep physician? Do you have support from the C-suite? Do we have a proper navigator? Do we have the OR team? Who's going to do sleep endoscopy? How are you tied into uh, your sleep practices? So we really kind of coordinate all the key functions that are necessary for centers to come on board and be come on board with a high utilization. So we're still in that early stage where we're bringing on uh, patients and and we just don't have capacity in centers yet. We need to, or a capacity in, in cities yet. So we need to continue to grow the number of centers that we're training. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. And I show our last question comes from the line of Suraj Kalia from Oppenheimer & Co. Please go ahead. Hi, Tim. Can you hear me all right? Yes, yeah, Suraj. How are you? Good. Uh, congrats on the quarter. So, Tim, I'll Thank throw you. in all, all my questions quickly, all of them directed to you. So, okay. Tim, on your comments on GLP-1s, appreciate the color. Maybe you can uh, walk us through. I look upon this as a two-tailed curve, right? You were talking about high BMI getting pulled in and your comments about lateral collapse. I appreciate that. How do you look upon the net change? because patients that are 30 to 35, 37, they're gonna drop also. So I'm curious, how do you all stratify what is the influx minus the outflux? So that's one question. Yeah. The second question, Tim, and please stop me if I uh, ask me again. Second question would be, what percent of your patients currently are getting hypoglossal nerve stem but haven't even tried a CPAP? And yeah. Tim, the remote programming component, can you give us a specific example where remote programming has been done, whether it's neuromodulation, anything? And the reason I ask is general otolaryngologists, at least our field, you and I have talked about this in the past also offline, huh? you know, they are sort of disconnected with the, with the programming component of it. They are handed off. So I'm curious if you could, you know, in the remaining time, just walk me through. Sorry, I threw all of this in. Any question, answers to any questions would be great. Thank you, gentlemen. No, those are all really, really good. Let me walk through. I kind of want to go in reverse, but I'm not going to. Okay, BMI influx, outflux. You have knowledge on this, and that's why it's, it's so key to talk about this. It's a percent of patients with a high BMI that actually have a lateral wall collapse. And as you highlight, not everybody does. And a lot of patients with a BMI of 37 only have tongue-based collapse, and so they will pass a sleep endoscopy and go right on to Inspire. The challenge that you're highlighting 
is how many patients do you have to see that will actually pass a dice to be able to move on to Inspire, and how much capacity did you eat up in that ENT's practice with patients that aren't able to get Inspire? So it's a very good question. That's why we're being very careful with the high BMI. The good news is with Predictor, that uh, airway exam, we can do a soft review in an office setting to see if a patient's likely to have uh, lateral wall collapse and we're already in the, the next 300. So a lot more to come on that to really start stratifying those groups. But I think the, the, the GLP-1s are gonna take those patients with a lateral wall collapse or the complete concentric collapse and ideally, now we need to, to see how this works on practice, ideally lower their BMI uh, and have them present really ideally as only a tongue-based collapse. So we need to track that going forward. Your second question was with what percent of our hypoglossal nerve stimulation patients have actually tried CPAP? And the reference to this is with the Phillips recall, did we get a significant amount of patients that we're able to bypass CPAP and go right to Inspire? I think the real answer to that is probably not. I think the great majority of our patients have all tried CPAP, and I think that is a gate that the insurance companies always ask. I am sure there's a small percent that have been able to go through because they're unable to get a CPAP machine because there wasn't an inventory there from ResMed, or there wasn't an inventory, obviously, from uh, Phillips because of the recall. But I think uh, historically, I think very uh, few of our patients actually get through bypassing CPAP. So I think um, probably really has no impact on the inventory side. Neuromod, I think Abbott has approval for some of their di diabetes products. And so if you look at the way SleepSync is set up and we look at the screens of SleepSync, uh, they really are modeled after our good friends at, at ResMed. And ResMed did a really good job with the Bright Tree system, having a patient management system that the sleep physicians know how to manage their patients. And if we could model our screens after those, the sleep physicians would be comfortable using SleepSync. And that's kind of the tool we're using. And those are the sleep physicians. Those are the ones that manage the patients longitudinally. And those are the ones that the remote program is, is designed for. Now, you may have ENTs that are dual board certified sleep, and they do the longitudinal management, but we're really kind of building sleep sync for the longitudinal management and the remote programming. And FDA has approved that uh, for implanted products in the past, so we do have precedence uh, for which to move forward with. So thank you very, very much on that, Siraj. I know we're over time, but I just want to make one last note. I want to thank you all for joining the call today. As always, I'm grateful to the growing team of dedicated Inspire employees for their enthusiasm, hard work, and continued motivation to achieve successful and consistent patient outcomes. The Inspire team, the Inspire, Inspire team's commitment to patients remain unmatched and is the most important element to our success. I wish to thank all of our employees as well as the healthcare teams for the continued efforts as we remain focused on further expanding our business in the U.S., Europe, and in Asia. And for all of you on the call, we appreciate your continued interest in and support of Inspire and look forward to providing you with further updates in the months ahead. Please stay safe and healthy. Thank you very much. This concludes today's conference call.
You may now disconnect.